What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 131 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first by not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do a bit of follow-up, discuss the news, and then ask the question, is it okay to purchase non-vegan food for others, a.k.a.? Is it okay to buy a crying child ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) Controversial show topic today, Paul. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm excited to get to it. We got a we got a action packed show today, Andy. We do. We got so much stuff to dig into. So let's just get this show on the road. Start with a little bit of food talk, Paul. You know what? I had a whole lot of mediocre food in this past oh, week. Oh no! Yeah, I went to a I went to a lot of places. People can see some pics on the Instagram if you want, but nothing that I really felt like warranted a, a shout out. Mm-hmm. But but I did get to try the Beyond Sausage yet again. Now that it is in stores, I I went on a quest to find the Italian varieties. And mm-hmm. I went to several stores in Connecticut, and every single one was entirely sold out of every flavor except for the the bratwurst flavor, the brat flavor. And it was kind of a bummer, <laughs> but I picked up the bratwurst anyway and cooked it up with some some friends of ours. And I have to say, I, really, I actually really like it. I think the bratwurst flavor is growing on me. But more importantly, later on, I did find the Italian variety, and I got to cook it up myself. And I have to say, there's a bit of a snap. There's a bit of a snap. There's a bit of a snap. I could tell that there actually is some sort of casing on it. And actually, in the ingredients list, the very last thing is some sort of like sodium whatever casing. The hmm. problem is that it, it cooks off in a lot of different cooking methods. So so the snap was present for like the first bite or two, but then it just sort of was, was gone. And I could <laughs> sort of see the casing cooking off. But it's there. They made the effort. I am a huge fan of these sausages, Paul, and I'm I'm really glad that they're out there. I was never, uh, you know, in my my pre-vegan days, I was never someone that just ate a ton of sausages. So I don't know how often I'll eat these things, but I have to say, I, I think that they have brought it yet again. I think that you know the Beyond Burger really set a new standard for that company, and they are following through with these sausages. Did you just say they have brought it yet again? <laughs> I, I I went to Whole Foods the other day and I actually saw th- the first time I went, they were out of them. And then I went a couple of days later and they had one of the flavors. It wasn't the bratwurst. I don't think it was the Italian one that you've raved about. What's the third? What's the third flavor? Well, there's a sweet Italian and a hot Italian. Oh, okay. So it was one of the Italians. But that like $9 price tag scared me away, Andy. You got to try it, Paul. I the know. Listeners, the listeners want to know what you think about this. <laughs> I know. Maybe I'll they're, go get they're it waiting. Today. They're like, should we buy it? We got to know what Paul thinks about this. <laughs> we need to know what he thinks about that snap. Yeah, I feel like you actually, you saw it and you're like, there's probably too much flavor in this. And I can't purchase it. <laughs> also possible. Uh, so, Paul, what mm-hmm. were you doing this past weekend? 
So I was fortunate enough to be at the New England Veg Fest where I was behind the Compassion Co. booth. And while I didn't try anything, I didn't adventure out. It was it was jam-packed. I didn't even have time to really go out and explore that much. But I did get some of the some of the classics, some of my all-time faves, the usuals at, at these sort of New Englandy veg fests, which was I got me some yeah dogs, I got me some sweet beet, and then Something I haven't had in a long time is Like No Utter, which is a vegan ice cream place in Rhode Island. And since moving to Philadelphia, not very close to Rhode Island, haven't made it to Providence in a while. So it was it was magical, Andy. It's, I, th- I think it might be my favorite vegan ice cream place. Sorry, little babies from last wow. week. You're going to make those little babies cry. <laughs> Which we'll be talking about later in the show anyways. <laughs> Speaking of little babies and ice cream. Yeah. 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 You, uh, I'm, I'm jealous. First off, one, I'm jealous because I miss all of those wonderful vendors. And it's been a minute since I've had them. You meet any beardos at this event? I did, Andy. I met, a, I met a bunch. It was nice. I met Matt, who told me that they were one of the first iTunes winners in our in our iTunes comment mailbag gift giveaway. So that was cool. I met Abby, Michelle, Mark and Catherine, Alice and Matt, and then friend of the show and friend in real life, Amber, who uh, specifically Amber. told me that she wanted a shout out on the show. So here you go. Amber is the best. Gives a great haircut. Yeah. Andy and I have both received Amber haircuts in the past. So thank you all for coming by and, and saying hello. It was very nice to meet you all. All right. Very awesome. Love meeting those beardos. Uh, let's let's move along into some follow-up. Paul, hit us with this first bit of sweet follow-up. All right. So we talked about this TripAdvisor news story. Some of these news articles said it was from 2016. So is it possible that we the last time we talked about this was maybe almost two years ago or maybe a little over a year ago? But... This article is coming to us from FocusWire.com. TripAdvisor extends animal welfare policy, critics say, falls short. Can I just say, Paul? Mm-hmm. They spell focus with a PH. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like they should have called their, their website Focus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> is that all you wanted to say, Andy? That's it. Can all right. Proceed. Reading from the article, campaigners for animal rights have welcomed a shift in strategy at TripAdvisor for selling tickets to animal-based attractions, but say the brand should go further. TripAdvisor says it will no longer sell tickets to specific, quote, experiences where captive, wild, or endangered animals are forced to perform demeaning tricks or other unnatural behaviors. It adds that the policy includes attractions that have animals that are, quote, featured as part of a live circus or stage entertainment act in a demeaning manner. So if I may pause for a second, Andy, I feel like this was the bulk of the news story that we originally discussed, which was about TripAdvisor kind of considering not, I think it might have been the, maybe it was the main discussion of that episode? I don't think so. Okay. I take that back. So... (laughs) This was the bulk of the, 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 the discussion that we had about this last time, which was TripAdvisor saying that they weren't going to be promoting a lot of these animal-centric features anymore. However, the article continues, TripAdvisor has made a number of other changes to the policy, including allowing feeding or touching exercises between animals and guests of an attraction if under supervision of trained officials and if animals, quote, have the freedom to disengage. 
educational experiences will also not be permitted, the company says. And just from looking at from looking at a different article, I saw that the the specific types of attractions they're talking about that they will allow or they will promote are things such as interacting with spiders, sounds terrible, horseback riding, children's petting zoos, and aquarium touch pools. So definitely overall a a disappointing bit of follow-up. It seems like they've kind of dialed back a little bit on what their original plan or what we originally thought they were going to be doing, which is taking out a lot of the animal-centric attractions. And just to finish up this article, head of industry relations Sally Davy says, tourist activities have a huge impact on wild animals around the world. And while that impact can often be positive, such as helping to fund important con- conservation efforts, it can be negative too. We hope that by making it clear which kinds of experiences we are willing to sell on TripAdvisor and which we are not, we can push suppliers to adopt better animal welfare practices in the experiences they offer. So, Andy, how do you you feel about this? Yeah, this definitely seems disappointing. You know, we were already like, oh, this is good, but it should go further. And now they're... There's they're scaling it back even more than where they said they were going to be at. And, yeah, you know, did the big animal lobby like wield their influence and like what's going on here? And I mean, I think I questioned like really how much part does TripAdvisor really play in driving people to certain attractions? But I guess we shouldn't really underestimate any website that's promoting, you know, attractions that do use animals. So. It's a bummer. I feel like people should put the pressure on TripAdvisor for this one. Yeah, I wonder if in the year or two since they made these changes, they analyzed like the traffic to their website and what people were clicking on and stuff like that. And and maybe they were like, oh, no, this has negatively impacted our our business. So we need to bring some of this stuff back. Like, I wonder if I wonder if it had nothing to do with external forces putting pressure on them and more so just them being like, oh, well, I guess this is the thing that people want to do, so we're going to include it in our website again. Yeah. Yeah. that I would say that's entirely possible. 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 So big bummer, but uh, I think that's all we got to say about that. Yeah. Send, send an email to TripAdvisor out there if this bothers you. Yeah. Yeah. So, Andy, we got a big a big piece of follow-up coming, out, coming at you. <laughs> we sure do. So, you know, Paul, occasionally we're ahead of the curve on things. And I think this this might have been one of them, having this discussion. Listeners may remember way back in August of 2017, episode 93, entitled Impossible Foods, Tests on Animals. We had a lengthy discussion about the revelation that Impossible Foods is testing on animals. There was certainly a conversation in the animal rights community when that happened. But it feels like now, maybe it's just because it's at White Castle and a lot of vegans are posting about going there and getting the Impossible Burger. But it seems like the arguments that have been popping up online are, are much more frequent and much more heated than before. And, you know, it's it's essentially regarding the fact that Impossible Foods it did animal testing on their soylic hemoglobin, the, the heme, if you will, which is the thing that makes their meat taste like meat. So, one, if you want to hear extensive thoughts about this, go back to episode 93. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But, uh, I don't know, some some new information's come out. I did a little more digging, and I felt like just because everyone's talking about it right now, it might be a good time to revisit a small portion of that conversation. 
And the reason that I bring it up is because I found this article in modernfarmer.com where I get all of my news, Paul. <laughs> Marmor.com. Marmorfarmer.com. The (laughs) title is, Is the Impossible Burger Legal? So the article says that the FDA is, quote-unquote, still evaluating whether to issue official approval of the burger, and I guess more accurately, the heme, which is sort of the, the ingredient in question. So let me read a bit from that article. It would be reasonable to ask how the Impossible Burger is allowed to be sold at all, given that the FDA has not given it the thumbs up. The Impossible Burger is legal under what's known as the GRASS approval, which stands for Generally Recognized as Safe, and means that a panel of experts has deemed the additive in question, in this case the soy leg hemoglobin, as safe. The FDA, for its part, has not declared the heme unsafe, Bloomberg says, and they, they were getting a lot of the information from this Bloomberg article, that the FDA has simply stated it requires more evidence before making a decision, and so the Impossible Burger remains in a weird in-between zone, legal, yet not actually approved. So I found this really interesting. You know, one, you have to look at the source, of course. This is not a vegan source, so they might have some vested interest in casting the Impossible Burger in a questionable light. Yeah. But it did have me raising questions, because when we covered this, we were kind of under the impression that they had to do the they they felt that they had to do the animal testing in order to be approved by the FDA in order to get this grass certification. And it turns out I don't think we entirely had a good grasp on the grass, Paul. <laughs> because the FDA does not issue the grass notification. That's not something you bring your evidence to the FDA and go Here's our evidence, and they're like, okay, cool, this is generally recognized as safe. And so so the article says it's in this weird in-between zone, legal yet not actually approved, which is actually a zone that a ton of different food additives are in. So I wanted to clear a couple of things up. So like the first thing people will be asking is, like, what is the FDA, the, the Food and Drug Administration? Like, what, what do they do? And... You know, a lot of people think that the FDA is not particularly effective at what they do, but essentially they're there to ensure the safety of America's food, cosmetics, drugs, and medical devices, and they deem things scientifically, medically, and nutritionally sound. But they don't approve, like, specific foods. Like, they don't do, like, a pre-market approval of a McDonald's hamburger or something like that. But they do approve specific ingredients at additives, which is basically, I know that gets like a negative connotation, but a food additive is just anything added to a food. So, (laughs) right. Very, very simple. Right. So in regards to this whole grass thing, this is from the FDA's website, certain food ingredients, such as those that are considered generally recognized as safe by scientific experts do not require pre-market approval as a food additive. The FDA has a voluntary notification process under which a manufacturer may submit a conclusion that the use of an ingredient is grass. So so a grass notification, Paul, it doesn't mean that the FDA has evaluated a product and determined it as safe. So a company can take their information to a panel of experts and present it to them and the panel of experts and say, yes, this seems like it's generally regarded as safe. And then that's all that they really need to do. And this is this is essentially a loophole that was introduced in 1997. The term grass goes all the way back to 1958. 
And it's a legal term that was invented essentially to give a pass to things like salt or like baking powder, like things that are just in your pantry, people been using forever. It's, it's like clear that there's no need to test these things or to prove that they're safe because they're just sort of generally used all the time. Interesting. So yeah, so then in 1997, this, this loophole was introduced, which allows companies to determine for themselves whether something is considered grass or not. And apparently since then, like fewer and fewer food additives have actually been submitted to the FDA. Because it's like, well, why would you go to the FDA? Why would you submit yourself to this voluntary process and, and, and essentially open yourself up to the possibility that they might say, well, we don't think that this is actually, we're not going to give it our official stamp of approval. Because there's, there's two things that the FDA can do. They can say, they can do what is called a no questions letter, which is like, no questions asked. Yep, we looked at your thing. We looked at your grass statement and accept it. And that's sort of their official stamp of approval. Or they can say, oh, there's not sufficient data and you need to do some more some more legwork and, and show some more numbers before we'll officially give you our no questions letter. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, yeah, OK, if a company can just be like, eh, our experts determined it's safe and we don't really care about the FDA because like you can sell food that's not approved by the FDA on the market. Yeah. So so it like begs the question that if if this was a voluntary process why why put themselves through that why even put yourself in front of the FDA for them to not approve the thing if you can just say that like your experts said it was safe. So I'm going to read a little bit from a statement that was made by Pat Brown of Impossible Foods regarding this whole thing. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, essentially, it's like a long thing about them saying, you know, these are our values and this is what we're committed to and these are our goals and talked about the importance of the heme in, in the, the creation of this product and said, so in 2014, we submitted extensive data, which did not include rat testing to an academic panel of food safety experts from the University of Nebraska, University of Wisconsin-Madison and Virginia Commonwealth University. Based on this data, the panel unanimously concluded that our key ingredient is generally recognized as safe or grass. This means that Impossible Foods has been complying with federal food safety regulations since 2014. In addition, we voluntarily decided to take the optional step of providing our data, including the unanimous conclusion of the food safety experts, to the FDA via the FDA's grass notification process. And that is the one where they can give you that no questions letter. The FDA reviewed the data and had some questions. <laughs> they had questions. <laughs> to address them, we conducted additional tests. It is industry standard to perform rat feeding studies to demonstrate that a food ingredient is not toxic and is safe. Most companies that submit a grass notification to the FDA include tests that use animals as subjects. So they felt like they they needed that additional FDA approval. And I guess the question is... Do we think that they really needed that? Is that going to hinder the growth of their product somehow? And uh, the Good Food Institute, and they're like a group that's essentially really working to help promote clean meat and and plant-based meats and, and plant-based animal products, essentially. They have a whole article on this, and they discuss why it would be important for Impossible Foods to get this, this FDA-approved no-questions letter. For example... This letter may be required by major retailers like Walmart by other significant customers like McDonald's, who would most certainly not sell a product that did not have such a letter, and by governments considering import of a product. 
Additionally, the lack of such a letter could result in FDA finding that a company's products were adulterated because the company had not shown safety to the FDA's satisfaction. This would cause all of the product to be pulled from shelves and sale prohibited. So while some might argue that testing is not legally required, the alternative is that companies may be unable to sell their products to some major U.S. retail outlets and internationally, and it could result in the product not being allowed to be sold at all, thwarting the goal of replacing animals in the food system. So this last little bit, it's it's almost kind of vague, right? Like, it's like, it might be required, it seems like likely that it's required, but it's not, like, officially a requirement, and I did actually look online at, like, what it takes to be approved for Walmart. And, yes, there are some lines that say that you may need to comply with FDA standards for certain things. So, I don't know. It seems seems logical to assume that this is something that a major retailer would be looking for in order to sort of, you know, like, cover their asses in the events of lawsuits. But I also feel like I see products there that are, like, energy drinks that have, you know, the these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA like sold in in Walmart, you know? I think that, I mean, obviously we would need to do more research into it. I think that that's something different. Like, I'm sure that, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I bet that in those energy drinks, for instance, the ingredients are probably FDA, but the statements that they're making that are like, you'll lose, like according to this study, like 99% of people lost 20 pounds in in two days and and that's when it says like these studies have not been reviewed by the fda i bet you though that the ingredients of the product themselves do have the approval yeah yeah that's probably a pretty important distinction there so i don't know it's interesting because i feel like even even articles like this modern farmer article which that article from what i from what i read to everyone it doesn't it kind of make it sound like oh, this Impossible Foods, this burger is in this really weird no-man's land right now, and, and it sort of like paints it as like a pretty novel thing, but it seems like it's a pretty standard thing at this point. Yeah, if, if from what you said that since the, the 1997 loophole, more and more products just do the, the grass certification versus going for like being fully submitted to the FDA given like judging from that, I totally agree with you, Andy, that I feel like the, the was it modern farmer? It's kind of trying to drum up controversy. It's trying to stir up. It's like a scare tactic. Basically. It's like, Oh, this, this is some scary, scary product because it it hasn't been FDA approved. Like, but obviously they're leaving out the fact that most things now go through this loophole rather than going through the full FDA approval. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure if I would, if we can say most, I I don't have like numbers in front of me, but it seems like a decent amount we could say. And I guess since, since you were, you were saying like, we talked about this a really long time ago, might as well retalk about some of our feelings. Cause I feel like I've had a lot of time to think about this since our episode 93, not that I remember exactly what I said in episode 93, but I feel like in general, I'm I'm more upset that the FDA seems to require the animal testing. Like that's that's the stand. I'm more upset that that is just the standard practice of food in testing in general. I'm more upset with that than I am specifically at Impossible Foods, who from what the from what the the CEO said 
they tried to do it without animal testing. And from what we're speculating, they concluded that they needed to do this additional animal testing in order to have access to something like White Castle, probably. So I, I'm, I think I'm not as upset with Impossible Foods as I've seen a lot of other people posting about online. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hate to be one of those people that's like, well, if you care about this, you should argue about this. But it does feel like a lot of the rage that's sort of being expressed online is it's directed at impossible foods. But it's almost like if we spent the amount of energy that we've spent arguing about impossible foods choice to test on animals and redirected that towards trying to change the practices of the FDA that seems like it'd be like a more appropriate place to put that that energy. Yeah. But I guess it seems like it'd be a lot easier to get a company that is, you know, headed by an ethical vegan to change something versus changing this like entire big system. So maybe it just feels like it's more of a and it, like maybe it just feels like it's an easier goal to reach. But I think that a lot of I don't know, like I agree with you Paul, like as time has progressed I become more and more upset with the FDA's process than than what Impossible Foods did because I think when it first happened and we were we were determining that this is not legally mandated, why the hell would they do this? And and I was like really bummed out about Impossible Foods, but still sort of recognized that this is a product that could potentially turn a lot of non-vegans onto vegan alternatives. But yeah, I think you're totally right that that. I'm more disillusioned with the FDA than I am with impossible foods at this point. Also, I I feel like there's definitely, I think a big distinction between something like this, where, where it's like impossible foods did this thing. Presumably once that they did this animal testing once versus like a different situation where a vegan company is choosing to, 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 put in some non-vegan aspect continually, whether that's like, oh, this vegan company all of a sudden introduced this non-vegan product as well that they're also selling, something like that that's continually happening. I think there's a a distinction there. Obviously, it it stinks that it happened even once it stinks that it happened, but are we going to just kind of dwell on that one thing that happened in the past at this point? Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, Impossible Foods, they kind of present it as this, well, we could either introduce this product that has the potential to save a ton of cows versus, you know, the sacrifice, them them sacrificing 200 rats. And they sort of say, well, we, we weigh it out. Our two options were don't introduce our product and way more cows die or do introduce it and 200 rats die. I guess I have the question is, is that, are those the only two choices? Like, like, do does the world need the Impossible Burger? Like, is the Impossible Burger so important that it warrants the testing on the rats? Like, is, is animal liberation going to rest on the shoulders of this one product? And are they sort of presenting this, this false importance of the product in order to justify the animal testing? Well, I think, obviously, the, the company themselves are obviously going <laughs> to introduce their product as being that that thing. And I think, I don't... I don't believe that the Impossible Burger alone is going to to change the world into a vegan world, but the fact that it's in White Castle now and that it may not have been in White Castle had it not gotten this approval, I th- I think that that's 
huge. Well, it hasn't gotten the approval yet. No, that's the what F- I'm saying. The FDA hasn't given their stamp of approval, their no questions letter yet. Oh, they haven't? No, that's, that's what this Modern Farmer article was about. Oh, I thought that... It's still pending. Hmm. I guess I'm still confused because, like, I, I don't know. Is there a difference between, like, grass approval and then grass notification? So this is why I spent two <laughs> hours pulling my hair out last night trying to determine this. Yes, there's a difference between grass approval. Like, your grass, you just get a grass statement. You, you bring it in front of a panel of experts. You do some tests. And the panel of experts not associated with the FDA say, yeah, this is grass. And, and you're, you're good to go. If you want to take it one step further, if you want the FDA to officially approve of this statement and give you the no questions letter, that's when you bring your grass statement and all of the research, you put that in front of them. And it's that no questions letter that potentially lets you get into Walmart, into McDonald's, do the overseas trading, right? So, so you could be selling a product within the U.S., and you're totally fine, but then you bring it to Walmart, and they're like, okay, well, do you have FDA approval of this? And you're like, no. So it's like you can you could go sell it wherever, but if you want to bring it into certain retailers, they're going to require this additional safety certification. You pointing out the White Castle thing, because I was like, oh, maybe that's why they haven't gotten into grocery stores yet. Maybe that's why, you know. But obviously they're in a lot of big restaurants. Maybe these restaurants just have different standards than, than Walmart does, but... Well, no, that, that that doesn't surprise me because I feel like a restaurant, you know, it it's unless it's this giant chain, it's just a small amount of people making these decisions and and versus something like Walmart where I feel like if you're mass selling these things, the possibility of something going wrong becomes much greater and so to kind of like they they are probably just worried about covering their butts for lawsuits and stuff like that because if if something goes wrong with one of those products from someone that buys something at walmart they can just be like well this has fda approval so we like we're covered on that i feel like that's probably why something like a restaurant isn't as concerned about that yeah yeah it's entirely possible (laughs) it's not impossible paul (laughs) impossible the impossible burger have i not made that pun yet (laughs) are they have they ever said that they're going to put them in grocery stores? I, I swear I've, I, that that's like the goal is that they want. I mean, if they're truly trying to save the planet and they're trying to save animals, doesn't it seem silly for them to not make it as readily accessible as possible at some point? I'm pretty yeah. sure we, we discussed an article. There was an interview with Pat Brown, you know, like uh, you know, several months ago where essentially they were, they're opening this new facility in the Bay area and they're going to be able to pump out however many millions of pounds a month. And because, and that we're still like several years away from it being in a grocery store, but that that is ultimately the plan. Oh, okay. That's going to be cool when they just have like the, the raw ground beef that you can just buy in, in stores. So, so something that's kind of interesting that that Good Food Institute statement brings up is that a lot of common products on the market have gone through this process, and that includes rice protein and oat protein and pea protein, which is what the Beyond Burger uses, and that's what mm-hmm. your beloved Ripple uses, <laughs> right? So, so 
Is there a meaningful difference, Paul, between the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger? I don't think so. I, I, I think that we can't look at things like, oh, just because this happened more recently than the other thing, this happened this year and the other thing happened three years ago. I don't think that should make us feel differently about those two things. I feel like we should stay consistent. Yeah, and I feel like some people might say, well, you know, the Beyond Burger came in and it was just using something that had already been tested and determined to say if the damage had been done and whether they used it or not would not affect that testing having happened. And so the Impossible Burger coming in, they're the ones that actively engaged in the testing and therefore it's not okay. But then should we, do we need to then go back and look at every vegan product that we eat and make sure that that company wasn't the one that did the testing for those ingredients. Like, do we need to go to Tofurky and Field Roast and Silk? And do we need to go to all these companies and make sure that they weren't the ones that did the testing in order to stay consistent? I mean, honestly, I would guess that very few of those companies actually did any testing. Like, I would guess, I don't have proof of this, but... I would assume that most of those companies are using things that were already determined to be safe. You think? I think so, with with maybe a few small exceptions. But but here's my question. If 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 we're saying the Beyond Burger is okay because they're not the ones that did the testing, what if a new company comes in now and decides they're going to make a burger using heme? Would it would would vegans be okay with it? Because this this new company, the Unpossible Burger, comes in <laughs> and they're using the heme, but they didn't do the testing. Someone else did the testing. Is it all of a sudden then okay now that there's this barrier between them? I think if we, like, for those people that are upset with Impossible Burgers but not upset with Beyond Meat, they would say, yes, that's that's okay. Yeah, I don't know. Just, it, to me, it seems like a a weird line in the sand to draw. Yeah, no, I I completely agree and and I I like like we were saying before, like we both said, I feel like we should be more upset with the fact that this needs to be done that that the FDA requires these sorts of things. We should be upset with that, not necessarily these specific companies who are not forced, but who there there are incentives for them to do these things because of what the FDA gives because the FDA gives this approval. They're yeah. incentivized to do them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to to bring it back to a question that I was asking you earlier, which was, does the world need the Impossible Burger? I'm not entirely sure that it does, but I have seen the great potential that it has to turn non-vegans on to vegan food, which can potentially be an effective foot in the door for a lot of people. Yeah, especially when you have it in White Castle, like... I have not had a white cat. I don't even know if I've ever had a white castle burger. I must've had one. I can't imagine they're the top of the line, like beef patties that you're getting from white castle. It's garbage. It's garbage burgers. (laughs) So, you know, in comparison to those, when someone then has the impossible burger, which is a, a decent tasting, you know, meat replacement or, or plant meat. I feel like it, when you when you have that juxtaposition, it makes it seem even better, and you're like, "Wow, wow, this this is good." So I th- I think that is it is it is it is important. Yeah, 
I, I feel like I'm happier that this product exists than not. And, and I'm wondering if, because White Castle has had this product, assuming that it does relatively successful, I wonder if that's going to prompt some competition from either other fast food places or places like Walmart. And they're like, okay, now we know that this is, this is something that people want and we need a good vegan option as well. Like, I wonder if it's going to prompt that competition, which would also be great. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. So capitalism. Yeah. So I guess the, the other just few little things that I did want to bring up, cause I see these things getting talked about a lot in the, in these arguments. One, a lot of people seem to now be under the impression that the impossible burger is, is like lab grown meat is clean meat. Cause a lot of people have been questioning impossible foods where they use the, the fetal bovine fluid, which is, which was what was used to sort of grow the cells for, for clean meat. And it just makes me so sad when I see people arguing that because I'm like, people are arguing about something that is, one, totally incorrect, and they have no <laughs> idea what they're talking about. So let it be said that there is not a single animal-based product in the Impossible Burger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just, like, when I saw people arguing about that back and forth and, like, posting screenshots of them asking Impossible Foods about it and just, I don't know, it feels like people aren't doing their research on things before really speaking about them yeah welcome to the internet andy yeah right <laughs> and uh i guess the other thing is i don't have anything to prove this but i i would be shocked if the beyond burger did not use animals in their development in terms of like an a b test like where they're eating animal-based burger and then trying the beyond burger to sort of see how they compare i feel like it would almost be impossible to to create those burgers without doing those things. And I know I saw someone that used to work at impossible foods say that impossible foods did that. And we know Hampton Creek does that even just in their Mayo. So like, I'd be shocked if beyond burger didn't do that. Yeah. So I think I see a lot of people that are proposing, Oh, well I'll just eat the beyond burger instead of the impossible burger. But I think like when you get down to it, pretty much every issue that that exists with the impossible burger exists in some form with the beyond burger as well. And I don't, I don't say that to be like, Oh, you're all hypocrites or you should just shut up and eat all the stuff. Maybe you decide that that means you don't need any of those things. And that's, I think that's a totally acceptable practice. I guess what, what concerns me is when people post about like a non-vegan posts about going to white castle and trying the impossible burger and a bunch of vegans jump down their throats like to yeah. me, that is that is like the biggest of bummers. Vegans jumping down people's throats. We won't talk about that anymore in the rest of this episode. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I kind of also chalk up a lot of that stuff to we are still living in this in this world that is so non-vegan that there are all these there's all this collateral damage that happened, and this is not to say that people can't do things or people don't do things to, to prevent that. But it's kind of the, I think it's the unfortunate truth that it's just the, this is the way things are that, that animals are going to be harmed and killed for the way that our society currently functions. And, and some of this stuff, that's what I kind of chalk it up to. And, and this is not to say that we shouldn't try to fix some of this stuff, which is why we've both been saying like, let's let's p- focus this energy on maybe changing some of the ways the FDA works but 
Yeah, that's why I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to still eat the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger, despite the fact that, like you pointed out, Andy, there are there were definitely animals harmed during the process of these products being created. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's not ideal. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I did actually take a screenshot. Uh, like White Castle has been. Or, or Impossible Foods has really been promoting the fact that it's at White Castle. And I was just yeah. like looking through the comments on a Facebook post that was promoted. And someone said, had them yesterday. They are way better than a regular White Castle slider. I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, just a food lover. Right? Nice. And then the and then the the first like vegan comment is, they're actually not vegan, but glad you decided to keep meat off your plate this time. Smiley face, thank you. Which oh seems God. like such a condescending thing. And it's not even... And this person didn't even say, I tried the vegan burger. Like, this just said, I'm not even a vegan or vegetarian, and I really like them. And the person's like, they're actually not vegan. It's like, what, what is what is the <laughs> point in commenting that? Like, wh- yeah. what does that help anything? Like, I don't know. It just, I feel like we're, as a, as a group of people in general, we're approaching this conversation in a very wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave that there. Believe it or not. 48 minutes in, that was all the follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this first bit of news, not really a lot to say about it, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. I wanted to, to bring it up since we've – this could all, honestly also be follow-up because we talked about this before. But <laughs> a little clean meat update. Found two articles over at Plant-Based News. First one is Clean Meat Startup Makes Breakthrough with New 3D Technology. So it talks about this Tel Aviv-based Aleph Farms Limited to use 3D printing in the making of their food. Uh, I don't know. The idea of 3D printing food still seems so weird to me, Paul. <laughs> I don't understand it at all, but it'd be, it, it seems like something from a sci-fi movie. But I'm yes, into it. Absolutely. So let me just read from this article. According to the company, until now, clean meat has often been limited to simple structures of one or two types of cell tissues, limiting its applications to ground meat. Aleph Farms 3D technology relies on creating a complex tissue composed of the four core meat cell types. They're then able to grow these cells on an intricate proprietary three-dimensional platform, according to the brand. Aleph's clean meat mimics traditional cuts of beef in both structure and texture. Ah, yes, the intricate proprietary three-dimensional <laughs> platform. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, mean, I think that this is something that we've seen the, the clean meat companies talking about as being, uh, like, it's tough is because if you're taking the flesh from an animal, that's an animal that, you know, a lot of them haven't moved around all that much, but they've moved around a little bit, and, and they're, they're sort of... You know, if you're just growing something in a lab that's like that's like flesh that has never moved, it doesn't have certain like qualities to it. And so it seems like creating like a steak, like people when people think of a steak, like creating that has caused a problem because it hasn't had the same texture and all that. So I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting and I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, and the the other little thing I'll say is there's the second article where they on Plant Based News where they interviewed Josh Tetrick and the the headline is Just CEO says 2018's clean meat launch will probably be sold in restaurants first. So essentially, it's just an interview with Tetrick, who you know is the head of Just Foods, formerly Hampton Creek, 
And in it, he would still not announce what the actual food was going to be, whether it was going to be like a chicken or a beef or like whatever it was going to be. Um, but did say it'll probably roll out into restaurants first. So I don't know, Paul, I feel like the conversations we're seeing around the Impossible Burger, we're going to start to see around this, this just meat in maybe even just a matter of months. I don't know. I feel yeah. like feel like just as often over promising and under delivering or never delivering at all <laughs> like i remain skeptical that they're going to have anything in a store or a restaurant within the end of this year but i don't know i feel like we gotta be prepared for these arguments to start all over again i know well i will say again capitalism i think that i'm seeing like a new clean meat article like every other every other day it seems like and i f- i feel like it's all it is culminating because it's like who's going to get this product distributed first. And I think there is some competition between all these different companies to do that. So definitely. So so I wouldn't be surprised if we see it in 2018, just, just for the mere fact that I feel like all these companies want to be the first person to get this out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be a real interesting landscape by the end of this year, I think. And, and to me, cause, cause for, in terms of plant-based burgers, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, if I need to recommend something to someone, I'll probably recommend the Beyond Burger because they can buy it places. But then now now that the Impossible Burger is becoming more widely accessible in restaurants, that's something that I, I, would, I will also be like, oh, if you go to this place, this place, this place, or this place, you can also get this burger. Like Those are kind of the two big burgers that I'll, that I'll promote. But I feel like if there's – it's going to be interesting if there's like seven different companies that in a matter of one or two years have these widely available meat products. It's almost like how are, are, are some of them going to just kind of fizzle out because they're not you know, as good as the other ones or are they all going to be in the stores all at the same time? Are we going to become super saturated with – with clean meat products, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it just feels like I, I feel like there's not enough room for all of these to have essentially this a similar type of product. Maybe I'm wrong though. I I think you're wrong. I think that okay. there could be room for a lot. Like I don't I don't want like that's the thing that that does worry me about like the Impossible Burger is like I don't want there to just be one brand that people have to turn to to get their their vegan like their super realistic vegan products from. Yeah. You know like I feel you. Like I love that that Beyond Meat is is totally crushing it right now but I'm like crap I want I want eight companies that do that. Like I don't want some big conglomerate to to be the only you know like what if they go under what you know like if there's anything that could happen to a company that would then like threaten if everyone's just relying on the the existence of the Beyond Burger in order for them to be vegan, and then what if something happens to that company? I don't know. I feel like there's so many scenarios that don't bode well if we're just relying on, like, one big conglomerate to, to save us. This is true. And I guess I can point to, like, all the different types of vegan sausages and say, like, yeah, I'll eat tofurkey. I'll eat field roast. I'm going to try this Beyond Meat one. Like, there's a decent amount of sauce vegan sausages that i if one of them went under i would be sad especially if it's my dear beloved tofurkey but if it went under it wouldn't be like i'll never have a vegan sausage again yeah yeah so you're right you're right all right well speaking of vegan sausage paul we got a story coming to us from msn 
France bans meat and dairy-related words from vegetarian and vegan food packets dated April 25th, 2018. So, yeah, essentially this is about what that headline says, that there's this ruling that they can't use certain terms when, when advertising and promoting various vegan products. So let me read a bit from that article. The ban was proposed by National Assembly member Jean-Baptiste Moreau, who said it is important to combat false claims. The amendment, approved last week, claimed that using words associated with animal products to describe meat and dairy substitutes was misleading French consumers. Terms such as vegetarian sausage, meatless bacon, cashew cheese, and soy milk are now off-limits. Manufacturers who break the rule could be fined up to 300,000 euros which is about 359,000 US dollars. So that's nothing to sneeze at. God, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, where they can be like soy beverage and uh, it's just it's so ridiculous to me because who is honestly being misled by these products? I know. I guess one could argue that maybe the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger tries to be misleading in their their phrasing like it's real meat made from plant you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i i've never been confused about whether something is vegan or not or or like whether something is actually animal flesh it's so easy to tell the difference between these two there's keywords like cashew and meatless and vegan you know like all these things that are very prominently promoted in the in the names yeah that it just it's so ridiculous I don't know. What do you make of this? Well, obviously, we're not in France, so maybe it's different. But something like soy milk in the U.S. is so like everyone knows what soy milk is at this point. It's in it's in almost every single coffee shop, either soy milk or almond milk or or cashew milk or coconut milk. There's some non-dairy milk that's in some that's in almost every single coffee shop that I've experienced, at least. I've not been to everywhere. I'm not. I'm not Andy. I haven't been to everywhere in the United States. <laughs> hey, I still haven't been to three states. <laughs> but, but it just doesn't seem like people, like you said, it just doesn't seem like people are going to be making those mistakes and being like, "Oh no, I drank soy milk and I didn't know. I thought it came from a cow. I thought soy was the name for a baby cow or something like that." Yeah. So I don't know. It, it's. I think it's a bummer. I, I feel like it's going to have, if nothing else, which I think there is other stuff, but if nothing else, it forces all these mostly vegan and vegetarian companies to now have to repackage all their things, which I feel like is an expensive endeavor in itself. Yeah. So it's, I feel like it's hitting them financially in that way and probably in other ways too that I'm not thinking of. So I guess... They just gotta be more creative and write chicken as with a little apostrophe <laughs> CK I, apostrophe. I bet that's end. even banned. I bet anything like chicken esque or chicken like or C H I K N like anything I bet won't pass. Really? That stinks. Yeah. I don't know. It's I mean, the positive way of course to look at this is these are like the death throes of a dying industry and they're just grasping at straws. Grasping at reusable straws to, you know, to, to maintain market hold when they see that they're going under. So it's like the positive way to look at it. But and it makes me think, <laughs> nice, Paul just showed me his reusable straw. It makes me think about how people say, well, 
why do you have to call it cheese and why do you have to call it bacon and you know all of all of those things and it's kind of like well if you call it vegan bacon people lose their minds but then if you call it like tempeh bacon people are like well what's tempeh it's like a you like you have to come up with some weird word for something that people are also going to make fun of so i guess we're going to see what these people come up with and then if those those words turn off consumers or not yeah no that's true i i, I think you have a good point that it is going to force people to be more creative in coming up with the how what how they're going to describe these products in a way that's still attractive for people or makes them desirable, especially to non-vegans. If they if they have no idea what to even expect or they have no frame of reference, uh, will they still buy the products? Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess time will tell. We'll hopefully do some follow up on that at some point. All right, Paul, I think it's time to move into our very controversial main discussion. But before we do that, we need to thank our wonderful new Patreon donors who joined us in this past week. We got some great names to read right now, Paul. <laughs> Paul. Yes, Andy. Who's this first This first wonderful person that's giving us money? My favorite soft serve ice cream in Rhode Island and possibly the world like no other. That's awesome. That's so cool that they're supporting us. Uh, our next supporter is Dr. Jalapeno. <laughs> is, that his, is, that his, is that their Christian name, do you think? <laughs> hey, don't matter, Paul. <laughs> and then last but not least, Rachel P. And, and Rachel actually was donating at one level and then increased their pledge to a higher level. So that's the, that's the first person to officially bump up their pledge. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. The first a person. <laughs> uh, now, Paul. Yes, Andy. Something happened this this week, and that was that our our beloved Rob over at the Commentist accidentally posted this past week's episode a day early. Gasp! And, and uh, you know, some people probably don't even recognize it was a day early because they just it's in their feed and they listen to it. But maybe some people were very happy about that. And if you want to get that happy feeling all the time. <laughs> You could uh, support the Patreon page because at the Mega Bearder level, you can get early access to episodes at least one day early and usually three days early. We're normally posting the, the episodes on Sunday morning over in the Patreon. So if you want to get in on that action, just head over to thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo. And, you know, we got bonus episodes. You can get buttons and stickers, all that good stuff and help us make a more sustainable and accessible podcast. You know, Andy, this episode, it was our last episode recorded in April. It was episode 130. There was a Friday the 13th in April. And I think that all these things point to the fact that this episode was cursed. This last episode, (laughs) so much went wrong with this episode. Paul, are you recording into the right microphone right now? I am recording into the correct microphone. (laughs) It, I, I... When I was editing this that that episode, I did something that I have never done before while editing an episode, which is delete a giant chunk of the recording. And I did that twice, and I've never done it before, and it happened twice. It took probably, I th- I think at the end of it all, seven or eight hours to edit that episode. The it was recorded into the wrong microphone. It was posted a day early, but you know what? We've got all that. We've got all that out of our system now. It's it's May, and and we're we're back, baby. So hopefully this episode, not to jinx it, but hopefully this episode goes smoothly. Yeah, fingers crossed, Paul, but I have a good feeling about this one. And I think this is going to be an interesting discussion because we haven't talked about this 
incident. So I don't know your feelings on it. I can I can guess, <laughs> but I think it might lead to some interesting areas. And we're we're asking the very controversial question: Is it okay to buy ice cream for a crying child? <laughs> Dear Lord, which seems like it seems like a very silly question, but I don't know this this incident is kind of interesting to me on a number of levels. But Paul, what what happened? Why are we asking this question today? So essentially, here's the story, Andy. I'm going to read this original tweet from a vegan that sparked this whole controversy. Should I put, should vegan, should we say vegan in quotes? We'll discuss that later. (laughs) But so here's the original tweet that went out. Pulled up to my driveway to find a little girl crying. She didn't have money for the ice cream van like her friends did. So I gave her enough money to get herself a nice big ice cream with sauce, sprinkles, and a flake. She was so happy and soon had ice cream round her mouth. That seems nice. That seems inconspicuous enough, but essentially... I mean, it is certainly very conspicuous in terms of being a nice, like a good Samaritan. True. Very conspicuous. Look at this good Mm -hmm. deed that I've done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So one might think that that's not that controversial, or maybe it is. Maybe you, you are sitting there thinking that is a controversial thing to tweet out. But one individual whose name I believe is Anthony, Anthony Dagger... Did find this did find this offensive and and sent the original tweeter a direct message which said, "Hi, I am just sending this to ask if the ice cream van was selling vegan ice cream, which would be surprising. Wanting to help others is of course great, but we should of course be helping them without basically harming and killing non-human babies, which buying non-vegan ice cream basically does." That means that if the ice cream was the typical kind, which I generally assume is the case, it definitely would have been best to help the girl in some other way. I'm really hoping it was an unexpected case of the ice cream being vegan, in which case that is awesome. Smiley face. Thumbs up. Paul, let's just talk about this message right away. Don't you feel like if someone was trying to get at this, they should just say, like, oh, I thought this was awesome. I was wondering if the ice cream was vegan. Like they're they're kind of starting from a place where they're already assuming the worst about this situation. Did you get that from the fact that they said, "I don't think this ice cream is vegan," three times? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not likely that this ice cream is vegan. That wouldn't be, you know, it's kind of it's like it's like it's it's skipping several steps of a conversation and sort of just putting putting in rebuttals and all this stuff like right away. And it's 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 also very mansplainy too because. I feel like this person is is almost saying like, hey, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but a lot of ice cream trucks don't sell vegan ice cream. So <laughs> I, I think it would be surprising if it was vegan, but but uh, it would be great, of course. But it's, it, it was very like, I don't know, that's the that's the tone that I got. Well, actually, did you know that dairy ice cream supports the enslavement of non-human animal? You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, OK, this person's vegan. They probably understand that. Yeah. Yeah, it was I. I thought I I had a a big issue with that whole tone that was kind of generated with that conversation or with that for, with the initial direct message. It's definitely the type of thing where my eyes would be rolling in the back of my head if I ever got a message like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and so essentially, what what ended up happening was the original person messaged back and being like, being like, "Dude, I was just giving a, a little girl some money for ice cream. Like, it's not a big deal." and Anthony, Anthony Dagger, ended up on his own page reposting this direct message conversation that they had with this caption. 
He said, I usually do not do this, but I feel like this is appropriate to post since this person is claiming to be a vegan, even though she admitted to buying non-vegan ice cream for someone else, defending what she did when I spoke with her privately, hoping that would make her less likely to be defensive, though I should not have had to worry about that, about it even though I was respectful and blocked me rather than admitting I was right and that she should not have bought the non-vegan ice cream for that child. To my vegan followers, I know at least those of you who she is following should be able to send her a private message here. Just in case that is not possible, one of my screenshots shows her Instagram account. I do not want her to be attacked. I just want her to see she was wrong, which I hope enough vegans talking with her will accomplish. Please let me know if that happens. So along with, again, along with, like he said, along with the screenshots of the, the, the direct messages, he also posted a screenshot of her Instagram, which was not really relevant at all because this was on Twitter. So it's kind of highly inappropriate, I guess, (laughs) extremely inappropriate. Some might say. Yeah. It'd be like, Oh, here also here's their home phone number in case you want to give them a call. If you get blocked on all the social media, it seems very invasive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the article that we're, we're kind of pulling from a little bit, which was from munchies.vice.com where we get all our vegan news was called vegan man doxes, vegan woman for giving dairy ice cream to crying child. And if you're not familiar with what doxing is, it's basically what he did, which is exposing information about someone. Usually, usually it is in the form of someone's like address or their number or something like that. But in this case, it was him exposing her Instagram account with, with the direct intent of of saying, Hey, contact this person, and if you can't contact, if she doesn't want to be contacted on on Instagram or on Twitter, then go ahead and contact her at this other place. So, definitely extremely inappropriate and messed up. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I was reading these. I was like, ah, did doxing really happen? But I guess you're right that he was sort of. You know, I, we tend to think of it as this. They researched this person's home address and all that kind of stuff. But I guess this would be considered doxing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's. It's not as intense as, you know, exposing someone's phone number or their their home address, but it still is like here's all these places that you can contact this person. Now, now my vegan army go out, go forth and harass this person essentially. Yeah. But but do it in a in a nice and constructive way. Yeah. But really show this person why they're wrong, <laughs> but don't attack them. Yeah. So that's basically that's basically the story in a in a in a twist of irony. This the original ice cream buyer ended up getting a flood of mostly support, according to the article, rather than what Anthony had expected, which was people somehow striking this balance that he was trying to put forward of not attacking or harassing someone, but really nailing them and and, and sticking it to them and letting them know why they were wrong. In general, people did not do that, which is which I think is is good. And people tended to show more support rather than harassment yeah so yeah this 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 incident got a lot of coverage from a lot of different news sources some some article titles that i that i found are vegan gets roasted on twitter for criticizing a woman who bought a crying child ice cream vegan ridiculed online after publicly shaming woman for buying ice cream for crying child and my favorite vegan mansplainer turns woman's good deed into worst hill to die on (laughs) (laughs) so paul i i I think there's two different things to talk about here i think 
we can talk about the implications of this woman's good deed. Because I think that there is, you know, we can talk about what what would we do? Do we think it's appropriate? Do we think there's situations in which purchasing non-vegan food for someone is appropriate? And then I think we can also talk about Anthony's way of going about all of this. Which do you want to talk about first? Let's do the let's do the first one first. Let's talk about the implications of let's talk about the act itself. Okay, Paul. Mm-hmm. You're walking down the street, you see a crying mm-hmm. child that clearly wants some ice cream from an ice cream truck that has no vegan options. Do you give that child money? You know what, Andy? I'm gonna say yes. Mm. Yes, I would. I I honestly, you can call me a heartless monster. I don't think that I would. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. We're done with this podcast. <laughs> You know, I'm a burnt out husk of a man with no emotion. So <laughs> like, is there a difference between something like that? Well, okay. Uh, let me ask this question. Would you never give anyone money unless you were sure that it was going to something that is vegan approved, vegan certified? Yeah. Well, see, that's where it gets tricky because I ready, readily and willingly will give money to people experiencing homelessness or, or asking it, presenting whatever story on the street to me. I will and have done that and will continue to do it in the future. And I guess I know full well that it's very unlikely that what they're going to spend that on is something that's vegan. Just like stati- yeah. statistically speaking, knowing that we are, you know, one to three whatever percent of the world it, it's unlikely the person giving this money to is vegan and I, and i and my personal view is it's none of my business what they're going to spend that money on everyone's got needs and they're going to spend it on whatever and it's my act of compassion to give them that money so i don't so i don't know it, it like it but it feels different when you sort of know i guess there's also maybe kind of um a level of need like, did that child need the ice cream necessarily? Probably not, but you know, you could you could say like, well, it's going to impact their emotional well being. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's like gross to be like, do, do you need that iPhone? You know, like I I, I don't want to be that guy, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess to me. I would feel like me giving this money to this child is not in accordance with my values and I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I will say this, and maybe this makes me a hypocrite, but if someone was like, like instead of the ice cream truck, they were like crying in front of the meat truck and they were like, I really want this meat. Yeah. The, I, you know, the classic meat truck the that meat goes truck. around playing that creepy song. <laughs> like in that case, I think I would, I would feel more uncomfortable about doing that and I might not do it in that case. And, Maybe there isn't a difference. Maybe this makes me a hypocrite, but... Yeah, the kid just wants a hot dog, Paul. Come on. Where are you, a monster? Oh, man. This is a tough one now. But, like, I can even think back to, like, when I was a teacher, and there were, like, there were instances where a kid would be like, I'm $1 short from being able to buy lunch, and I'd be like, sure, here's $1 to buy lunch knowing full well that they're probably not going to buy a vegan lunch. Yeah. And I don't I don't feel badly about that. Yeah, why not? I don't know. It's just like this is this is that kid needs lunch. Will they survive without that single lunch? Probably, but I would rather have them have lunch than not. Yeah, I don't know. This this is like honestly it's a really tricky question. I you know, like outside of the response from this guy and like what happened, 
you know, like there's the question of would we then criticize this this person for doing it? But I think, you know, and that's a different that's the second part of this discussion. But there's this like, would we personally do it? I don't know. It's really interesting. And I'm trying to just battle through the cognitive dissonance that I'm experiencing with, oh, I would give money to this person, but not to this this small crying child. <laughs> like, I honestly can't really see a huge difference other than I know explicitly what this money is going for. And and like, I think it's also it's you had you had said this too. It's I feel like it's getting into dicey territory when we start being like, well, this person needs this versus this person doesn't need this because then it turns into us like us having no prior contact with these people who are assumably assumedly giving money to it turns into us like judging what that person needs versus doesn't need based on just our own opinions and i feel like that's a weird thing to do and not something that people should probably do yeah so Yes, I don't know because I feel like that's I feel like that would be one of the the immediate responses from myself as as well as other people, which would be like, well, the, she doesn't need that ice cream, but I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess I guess we can sort of leave it at that. That for me personally, in that moment, I don't think that I would jump to buying ice cream for that child, and I I would feel okay in that decision. Yeah. And and your inclination is that you probably would buy the ice cream for that child. Yeah. I I think I think it would be. I don't know. This this whole incident is such an unfortunate one because the sort of the public examination that happens of it essentially puts anyone that does that doesn't agree with buying the ice cream for that child as being a heartless monster. And and yeah. again, separate separate from the way that Anthony engaged in this situation, which I think is unquestionably shitty and horrible, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, outside of that situation, it, 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 it allows, I mean, like, again, like, looking at those headlines where it's essentially like, how bad does this make vegans look if the headlines are like, vegan gives another vegan a hard time for buying a crying child ice cream, you know? Like, like it, it doesn't do anyone any favors for this to be a thing that's battled over publicly. Yeah. The, the tone of even just the article titles alone kind of sets it up to be like, this is the way that you should feel about this thing. And there's no, like there's no nuances to this. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're here to tease out. Paul love those nuances. We do. Although, you know what? Cause this might be Andy transitioning to the second part of the discussion but i know that i know that we love teasing out these nuances but i almost feel like is like this particular that particular action is and i do like obviously we want to stay ethically consistent but i almost feel like the impact of that action is is so small compared to other things that it's almost not worth making a big deal out of. Well, I think that anyone could say that about any one single purchase that anyone makes. And that's the argument of people like, well, me buying this one hamburger isn't going to, you know, decide the fate of this industry and it's insignificant. And I don't have any power in this system 
So what does it matter? But this is but this is like a vegan person doing this buying a non-vegan product. It, it, like I I doubt that maybe I'm wrong, but similar to what I would do, it's not it's not like I'm looking for I'm it's not like I'm looking for ways to buy non-vegan things for people that want that want or need them. Like, like I'm sure this person wasn't looking to do this, to enter into this situation. It just kind of stumbled upon them. So to me, it seems like this is a, for this person, this is judging on absolutely nothing. Like on no, I have no base for this, but it seems like this is a in, this is a rare occurrence for them. So I think that's different from me saying, well, I'm just buying one hamburger every single day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But then again, time is relative. So buying one hamburger every single day versus buying one ice cream cone in someone's lifetime. What is it? What does it even mean, Andy? <laughs> time is a construct. What's the difference? So I I guess to to sort of finish my thoughts on the the way that the media has responded to this, I think it really sucks because it plays into this idea. You know, when people are like, well, why do you care? People get so up up tight about what someone's eating. And they, they reduce the exploitation of animals simply to, oh, it's just food. This is just what I eat. You know, like, it's so silly that people get so upset over what someone eats, you know? And it, it like, reduces the suffering of billions of animals down to, oh, it's just food. And so, so like, when incidents like these get, like, hugely publicized, it allows people to reduce the suffering of these cows, the mother cows that, that have to suffer horribly to produce this milk to oh it's just a nice treat for a child you know and and it like yeah. it just puts us in this impossible position to defend not purchasing that ice cream for someone because it's like well you're you're obviously again a, a horrible monster if you don't do this it's just a crying child and it's just a nice treat and it's just a nice thing to do and that's all there is to it there's nothing deeper than that there's nothing beyond that that basic purchase and it, it's like it's like setting us up for failure, and 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 like for that reason, even though I personally wouldn't purchase that ice cream, I also personally would never say something to someone that that did that. And maybe if it was like a super close friend and we were having some sort of conversation about it, but I, I feel like my time could be spent so much better educating someone on why they should go vegan versus trying to shame someone that was trying to do something nice for someone. And again, I don't want to minimize what that act of kindness actually means for mother cows, of course. Right. But it just feels like pick your battles. And again, like that article said, this is the worst hill to die on. Like this is the thing that you are refusing to admit you've done anything wrong about. And it's like, yes, I think like ethically, I agree that I don't think that it, Again, it's not something that I would personally do, but like, re- like this is the thing you want to make a big stink about, and you're so certain you're right about that you're not willing to back down or understand the nuances or understand how it makes vegans look when we're giving someone shit for buying ice cream for a crying child. So let me ask you this, Andy. Do you think that there is a difference in how you feel about the situation of this person buying a little girl ice cream? Is there a difference? Would there be a difference if she did the thing and then did not post about it online versus doing the thing and then posting about it online? 
I mean, here's the thing, Paul. We don't honestly even know if this actually happened. Like, there's no, there's no like <laughs> f- footage. There's no video. You know, this could have been someone that's like, I'm just trying to make myself look nice. You know, I think. Yeah. Although, I guess if if this person was lying about it, they could have been like, No, dude, it was actually a vegan ice cream truck. So don't worry about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I honestly, yeah, it could just be like a nice thing that you've done. And you don't need to tell the world all about it. I, ha- You know, I have mixed feelings about those videos. They're like, look at this nice thing I did for people. Like, oh, I found people experiencing homelessness and I gave them 50 bucks. And then I followed them to see what they spent the money on. And they actually just bought pizza for all their friends to have a bunch of alcohol. And, and look how good of a person I am because of this. And, and like, I guess part of me is like, ah, I don't know if I love the indulgence, the self-indulgence of this and the sort of the 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 bonus points it gives someone for being such a good human being but at the same time i'm like people get famous over ridiculous things and people get that get you know extra good person points for doing all sorts of ridiculous things why not make them because why not give those points out because someone is doing a nice thing and maybe that will spur other people to do nice things for other people and is that such a bad thing well my my issue with those sorts of videos because it's like it's like a double edged sword for me because what because on one hand I'm like this is so creepy that this person is just following around and videotaping this other person that has no idea that they're following them around and videotaping them yeah. like that's just a real creepy thing to do but on the other hand like I feel like a lot of people have such negative biased views about people who are experiencing homelessness that those sorts of videos I think do have the ability to change people's perceptions about those, which I do think is a good thing. So it's kind of like on one hand, I'm like, Oh, I wish there was a way to get people to realize that people who are homeless are also people without having to creepily follow them around and videotape them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it sucks, Paul. It, it, it's also like, shouldn't we just be able to say, Hey, animals experience pain and you should not exploit them, but we have to show people the videos and all that stuff. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I definitely i f- I share your concerns about those types of videos, and and obviously not every single one is about someone that's like going through homelessness or something like that. And there's all sorts of small Good Samaritan acts that people do. And I don't know. I guess ultimately, I'm like, eh, posting those things online hopefully encourages other people to do nice things. And if they get some look how good of a person I am out of it, then whatever. Like, who cares? Yeah, but, but back to my original kind of sentiment. If someone, because I feel like if this person had just done this, done this deed and not posted about it and it just, it just, that that story fades away and, and no one ever knew that it happened. I feel like the, the impact that it had would be much less of a negative impact than what actually did happen, which it became this huge thing. And now people are reinforced with their opinions that vegans are these like hardline and and gonna critique you on everything and won't let you do anything type type of thing like i feel like what it's become is something that has had a negative impact on the vegan uh perception yeah yeah i mean honestly i i think that i would say if you do something like this it maybe is best not to post about it and to, to sort of brag about it online because of like if if you sort of know this is something that, like honestly, I'm like afraid to post about the Impossible Burger online because I just don't want to deal with the backlash. So, 
don't know. Maybe it is something that's like if you if you do this like one thing that's nice for someone, just let it be this nice thing that you've done for someone, and don't bring it any further than that. Because yeah, because I would maybe I don't know. I don't know. I would maybe even argue that obviously this is not quantifiable at all, but maybe like the negative impact this has had for the perception of veganism, which then may prompt some people to be more resistant to veganism and not change or not eat less meat or whatever has more of a more of a negative impact for animals than the direct impact that purchasing that one ice cream cone has. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously it's, it's hard to know how something you're going to do is ever going to get received on the internet and, and, and blown up and reposted. I'm sure no one expected this to become what it did like either parties involved, but yeah, no, for sure. For sure. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's, there's a difference between sort of doing something that you're like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm fully on board with this ethically, but it's like a good thing to do for someone versus then turning around and like promoting that as a thing that like everyone should do or, or is like, here's a thing that everyone should get their good person points for is doing this thing. No, I, I agree with that. I think, I think you're onto something there because I mean, this, like this discussion and the majority of these podcast episodes are about things that we don't necessarily know exactly how we feel on. And like you just said, maybe it's, maybe don't promote these things that you might not, although maybe, I mean, for all we know, this person might be of the opinion that there is nothing wrong with this. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, this person's responses to this guy were kind of like flippantly like is just ice cream it's not deeper than that uh and who knows if if he had actually respectfully approached with like a genuine question if there would have been a different conversation i know i would not be inclined to give someone a thoughtful response if i got that message first oh, so definitely. <laughs> yeah so i guess we can yeah. we can't we can only really speculate there so no reason to move further on that but yeah it's possible this person's like every vegan should go out and buy non-vegan ice cream cones for 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 crying children i doubt it but it's possible <laughs> yeah and we also don't know is this someone that's like is this like a health vegan is this an ethical you know we don't really know that could mean anything at this point but let's assume they're standard all for the animals vegan i guess they do have the little v with the circle around it so i feel like that yeah. usually implies animal yeah. animal ethics yeah definitely so <sighs> so paul Mm-hmm. Let me ask you. So there's this incident, and, and and this is like so like emotionally charged. You have a you have a crying child, and and it's it's almost puts you in a position to seem like you're a bad person if you don't buy them the ice cream. But I'm wondering mm-hmm. about like other instances where where vegans might feel conflicted about whether or not they should purchase non-vegan food for someone else. Yeah. And I, I feel like we may have talked about this a little bit in like our, the episode we did about dating, but you know, things that come to mind are like, if you're on a date with someone that's not vegan and you decide that you're going to pick up the tab or what about if you're, you know, you live with your parents and they're like, could you pick up some milk on the way home? Or the office asks you to pick up like catered food for the, for the, you know, the office is paying for it, but you're the one that's, picking it up and facilitating or like, you know, there's all these sort of different degrees. So I don't know, maybe we can talk about some of these different things, these different incidents. Yeah. So 
I think, honestly, Andy, when we first did our Dating Vegans episode, I think that I said, if I remember correctly, we disagreed that I said that there were instances where I would pick up the tab even if there was non-vegan food. I think I have since changed my my views on that to being like I think I wouldn't wouldn't do that anymore. Hmm, interesting. Just I don't know. I, I think I'm probably from from doing this podcast for a while now. I feel like I'm more. I'm there are still obviously many areas where I'm working through, but I feel like in that area I'm a little more concrete on probably not doing that and and. One of the main reasons is I feel like if this was a person I was dating that I could see some meaningful relationship forming from it, if they were not vegan, I would still expect them to respect that this is such an important thing for me. Expect and that respect. If, expect respect. It's your new, your new t-shirt, Andy. <laughs> but trademark. But, um, but if, if – and if they didn't respect that, I would be like – this this is probably a a red flag that this relationship might not be something that will that will work out like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it that it's important for them to understand why you wouldn't purchase that and that it's don't like don't allow them to reduce it to well don't you like me? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about the the established norms of dating or whatever it might be, the protocol, you know, obviously I, I think that's kind of like an antiquated look at the way dating works, but sometimes you just want to buy a meal for someone and it's a nice thing to do. And yeah, I, I, for me personally, in that instance, it's not a situation in which I would feel okay paying for someone else to eat non-vegan food. Also, like I've also definitely been in situations with family or friends that were not vegan and this almost gives you an excuse not that you should be making not that you should just uh be ha- establishing these relationships solely to convert people to veganism but it does almost give you an excuse in some of these situations for me that I found where I can be like hey I won't say this out loud but I'll be like hey let's go to this place like I will buy I will buy you this meal and it's out of it's like a, because it's at an all vegan place yeah you know what I mean? Like it almost gives you an excuse to take someone to experience this new type of food uh, that they might not experience otherwise under the guise of like, I'm paying for this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've actually even outright said it sometimes where, you know, I'm going to Starbucks with like two friends of mine and we're working on a project together or something. And I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll treat as long as what you order is vegan, you know, and, and People generally understand that. I know not everyone has like super understanding friends, but I think that like making that gesture and, you know, if people press you on, you can explain. It's like, it's not like I'm trying to force you to be vegan, but I just, I'm not going to pay for something that's not in accordance with my ethics. So um, Mm -hmm. I, I think that you can say stuff like that. And I think that people will get it or it's a chance to have a conversation with people about why. Yeah. I think in terms of one of the other situations you brought up, which was like picking up milk from a store for a family member or something like that. I think that obviously you could say like you could outright refuse to do that. You could also say like, I'll, I'll pick this up for you, but can you give me the money for the milk or something like that? I don't know. Would that be something you would be uncomfortable with Andy? It's like a situation where they're paying you back. 
Yeah, and so or they give you the money in the first place. Yeah, yeah. and so, so it's not like your personal money is going to it. Yeah. You know, that's that's definitely a tricky one. I feel like I'm at a point and have a relationship with my family where I could say I would not pick up non-vegan stuff. You know, they're they're pretty into a lot of the vegan products now, so I guess it's not really as much of an issue for me. But I, I feel like I'm in a place where I'd be comfortable if they said, could you pick up some butter or eggs or something like that? And I would I would say that I don't feel comfortable with it. But why? Like, what's the – if the end result is then they just go and get it, what's the difference? Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it just feels like I'm facilitating it. But maybe at some point we do need to go over the fact and not stress about every single tiny little purchase that we make. And, and treat it as if it's the end of the world if it does happen. Yeah, I was going to say, because I was going to say, I feel like sometimes you just got to gotta know when to pick your battles. And especially with family members who who know that you're vegan already, I, I, I think hitting them over the head with the vegan messaging every single instance that, that it's possible. Obviously, you know your family better than I do, but... Uh, for mine, I know that would not be the the most effective way to promote veganism if I just brought it up at every chance I could get. So I think I'm more inclined to let that kind of thing slide where if they were like, Paul, I'm really busy right now. I would appreciate it if you could. Here's five dollars. Can you just go pick up this stick of butter? I'd be like, sure. I love you, mom. I'll go pick up this butter. <laughs> there's I mean, there's also. If it's something that's, like, very easily replaceable, you know, like, if someone's, like, pick up eggs, you're like, okay, shit. But if it's, like, butter, it could be an opportunity to say, you know what, could I could I get get you to try out some Earth Balance instead or something like that, you know? Could, yeah. again, depending on the family, depending on your relationship, but things like that could be, like, oh, I'll pay for it, I'll just, but I'll just get the Earth Balance. It's great. I can't wait for you to try it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, a situation that Andy and I have no experience in is that if, if we were vegan parents and we had either non-vegan children or we had a non-vegan spouse, how, how to handle that situation? Because I feel like these sorts of things would show themselves a lot more than, than the situation that Andy and myself are in where it's like, if, if, you know, we're not, being put in a situation where we would be pressured to buy something non-vegan for someone else. We're not being pressured into that situation very often versus like a parent who I feel like a lot more frequently you would be in a situation where you would be the one paying for the meals. And if your child or your husband or your wife or your partner is not vegan, then what are you going to do? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, I have well, no experience with this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think we could probably leave this conversation off there and just put out a call to all the beardos and say, how do you handle these situations? Like, what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? Have you ever been in, as, was there a time that you felt like you didn't have a choice whether or not you could say no to purchasing something not vegan? And how did you handle that? And how did you feel? And what's your general life philosophy on these things? So, you know, send us in that email, beardvegans at gmail.com. And that's thebeardedvegans at gmail.com, Andy, not just beardedvegans at gmail.com. Just wanted to make that clear. (laughs) I, you know, we've, we've made this, we've talked about this kind of stuff before, and we've actually gotten emails before a a few about people in that similar situation being like a parent. And 
and just the last thing I want to say, something I thought of was, I imagine too something that's difficult about that is the pressure to to be the quote you know good parent versus versus feeling uncomfortable with purchasing meat stuff because I imagine there is there is societal pressure when you're like out and about and if you had because because imagine Andy picture yourself as instead of just a person a random a passer buyer of this crying girl wanting ice cream and being like oh I should help this person out think about if you were the the parent of that crying girl and then there's this added layer of like well now I have this like my child is crying because I because I won't give her the ice cream or I won't give her the money for the ice cream and everyone's going to be like oh wow what a what a terrible parent who's depriving their child of this $1 ice cream or something like that I feel like that adds a whole nother layer to it Definitely, yeah, a lot of societal pressure there. Kind of harkens back to episode 10 is all birthday cake vegan. And yeah. that that conversation where a parent was like, you know what? At the birthday party so my kid can just feel like a regular child and a part of the group, I let them eat the, the, the non-vegan cake. Episode 10. Haven't listened to that one in a while. Imagine it does not sound as good as this. <laughs> <laughs> it does not, but it features an interview with one of my favorite humans on the planet, Doomy Bay, all about Redefine Your yeah. Mind. And um, I revisit that interview occasionally. I think it's a really good one. So. Oh, nice. All right. So I, th- I think that's where we're wrapping it up for now, Andy. Yeah. Send us an email, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we love mm-hmm. hearing from you. So many people have probably sent emails to beardedvegans at gmail.com and there's someone out there just being like, who, why do I keep getting, why do I keep getting people asking me all these questions, these in-depth questions? Imagine having that email, but being unaware that the podcast exists. <laughs> so Andy, you got any cool events coming up? You know, now that the Cleveland Veg Fest has passed, I have a pretty quiet May going down gonna go down to new orleans for a wedding but then june is kicking into high gear june 2nd i'll be at the vegandale food and drink fest in houston texas same day paul is going to be at the lancaster veg fest lancaster pennsylvania june 9th and 10th i'll be at the Asheville vegan fest in Asheville, north carolina june 9th paul's going to be at the philly veg fest in philadelphia pennsylvania yep June 16th, the Tri-State Veg Fest, Edison, New Jersey, and then June 30th, the Vegan Dale Food and Drink Fest in Chicago, Illinois. A ton of events in June, and all of those events come to the Compassion Company table. It's my little vegan clothing line. You'll find either me or Paul behind the table. Say, what's up, Beardo? We'll hook you up with a button and sticker. And if you want all the dates, deets, and links for those events, just go to CompassionCo.com. CompassionCo.com. Hit the events tab, and you'll find all the info there. I got plenty of events all the way up through uh, November at this point. And, you know, Paul, we're actually, we're starting to get kind of close to July 14th, our next live podcast at the Atlantic city vegan food festival. Yeah. We're really fun. It's going to be good. Really fun special guest on that show as well. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I was, I was, I was trying to, I was feverishly trying to pull up a rap air horn sound effect to play at the end of your saying all those things, but I couldn't get one in time. You can put it in the editing if you want. Edit in post. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, something that we actually didn't talk about 
like we we offer the option of do you buy the crying child ice cream or do you do nothing we didn't really talk about the alternatives like do you run around the corner and find a thing of sorbet to give to this child or whatever but <laughs> I, I actually found something that has immediately made children stop crying if you just yell the following seven words right in their face we are the bearded vegans signing off Give me an ice cream girl for the weekend The kind of girl she built fairly season For the winter, for the fall Even in the summertime there's no fall You want an ice cream girl for the weekend A pocket full of dough you gonna blow on the weekend Young, fresh and clean, know what I mean Everybody knows a thing that loves the ice cream My rum raisin, she drunk in the club But since she a nut, she always boosted She got a man, he's always shooting And her daddy left her when she was 18 You were never fall in, I seen a pawn of jewelry Rider, she the life for the party. She's in that limousine. Look like something from a magazine. She's such a beauty queen. Got me spending all my cream. Give me an ice cream girl for the weekend. The kind of girl she built for the season. For the winter, for the fall. There's like a cop that's like checking me out right now. Oh, okay. I've kind of, I don't know, they haven't like come up to me. I'm in like a parking lot behind a a department store, but <laughs> like within view of the road. So I don't know. Yeah. So I'm a little distracted. I don't want to like look directly at the cop and seem suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> in your um, dark shade sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and means that a panel of experts has deemed the additive in question, in this case, soy la <laughs> fewer and fewer companies have actually been adding their cop just left all right i think i get it now (laughs) do you paul i don't know did i talk about the impossible burger and i think i did yeah at white castle no you you didn't you didn't talk about having it no okay Um, We don't need to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read a bit from this article. Uh, The ban. The ban? The ban. It's like loud ass garbage truck just revving their engine next to me. (laughs) What are you doing? I hope they're not just like parking here to eat their lunch or something. Leave. Just leave. Scott songs about ice cream.